Welcome to Contemplate, a Bible teaching ministry of Pastor David Robinson and brought to you by Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Have you ever wondered what the difference is between the Sadducees and the Pharisees? We're going to find out today, and here's Pastor David. Let's get into the first verse for today. And we are in Acts chapter 5, we're in verse 17. So let's hook it up. Here we go. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. They're filled with indignation. Okay. The high priest and the sect of the Sadducees. Now, if you've done much reading in your Bible, which I hope you have, uh, as we see in the first four books, the Gospels that talk about the life of Jesus, and here in Acts, we've seen already a couple different sects of Judaism, of the Jewish people, okay? The Sadducees is one of them. Then the Pharisees is actually another uh, sect also called the Essenes. And these are different sects that are going on, um, different people, look at them kind of like political parties almost, within Judaism, among the Jewish people. And so in order to understand contextually, as we read through Acts, I want you to understand, you know, when, we, when you interpret something, you have to know what the context culturally was at the time, right? You've got to understand what was going on, or you're not going to understand what they mean when they say certain things. And so today, I just want to take a minute, probably more than a minute, but I'm going to take a few minutes, and I'm going to explain to you who the Sadducees were, who the Pharisees were, and who the Essenes were. So let's get that started. The Sadducees, this group that's mentioned here, these are people who have descended from the line of, of a priest named Zadok. It's spelled Z-A-D-O-K, Zadok. This is a priest that was at the time of David. If you go back and read the book of Samuel, you will find this priest named, and, and he was there, and there was another high priest there. And, and what happens is during the reign of Solomon, Zadok and his line become sort of the high priest. And these, these Sadducees are descended from the line of Zadok, or some of them may just be descended um, philosophically from the line of Zadok. In other words, it's possible that some of these guys that were Sadducees sort of joined the party of the Sadducees. But we're talking about Levites. We've talked about this before. The Levites are one of the tribes of Israel, Right? They descended from Levi, one of the sons of Jacob, and they are the priests. They are the priestly uh, tribe within Judaism. And so Zadok is a line from that line of this priestly tribe. They tended to be wealthy, uh, politically influential, because they had held the high priesthood for all this time. And that was a position that somehow or another ended up coming with a lot of money eventually. Um, and so they would have, oftentimes these would be very wealthy people, very influential people, very respected people. That's who these Sadducees would be. <clears throat> they were kind of elitist. For their time and place, they were what I think people would refer to now as culturally liberal. Culturally liberal, okay? They, they were willing to incorporate what we call Hellenism, into their lives. And in other words, they weren't, they weren't so tied to the traditions of Judaism that they weren't willing to take the, the current culture. Okay, so when we say Hellenism, we're talking about Greek culture. Greek culture dominated the world for a very long time. In fact, if you look at the architecture of the Greeks, with the, you, you know what the classic kind of Greek column looks like, Greek statues, that type of thing. If you look at Rome, which was right at this point dominating the world, not Greece, nevertheless, Rome had a Hellenistic culture. There was a, if you look at their architecture, it's very similar. There were some things that they added and so on, but they had a very Greekish culture. Greek philosophy was very prominent, okay? So we call that Hellenism, basically Greek culture. 
Think about it like um, when people in other countries wear blue jeans and listen to Britney Spears. We say that's American culture, right? That's, well, it's not the best of American culture, but I mean, I like the blue jeans part. But in any case, but, but that's how this was. The Greeks had sort of exported their culture to other people, and the Sadducees were willing to sort of accept a lot of Greek culture or incorporate a lot of Greek culture into their Jewish culture. They also rejected what's referred to as oral law or oral tradition, okay? The Pharisees, we'll talk about this in a minute, believed that not only was the law given, and when I talk about the law, I'm talking about the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those five books, the Torah. The Sadducees believed that's all there was. There was what was written down. You interpret everything absolutely literally, okay? They did not believe there was any oral tradition, that helped you to interpret what was written down. You just went literal on everything that was said, and that's the way you did it. This is the way the Sadducees were. Okay, they also rejected the idea that there was an afterlife, that anyone lived after they died. They said when the body dies, the soul dies. There, there is a time when you die, and when you die, darkness. That's the end, okay? They did not believe that there was a judgment, that there were rewards for things that you did on the earth, but rather that there was death, and that was final. They didn't believe in spirits or angels. They were, when we had our skeptics form, we talked about naturalism. If you guys remember that, we talked about naturalism or materialism, scientific materialism. Although these guys are not fully naturalists, they believe in God, and they believe that God gave them scripture. They tended towards materialism or naturalism and almost everything else. You know, there's not a spiritual world, basically. Angels aren't involved in things. You don't die and go to heaven. You just die. This is how the Sadducees look at things. And the Pharisees, on the other side, they were totally opposed to because the Pharisees had different beliefs on almost all of these things. The other thing to know about the Sadducees is that when the temple was destroyed by Titus in 70 AD, we never hear from the Sadducees again. They're gone. They disappear. They're out of there probably because they were from this elitist class and the Jews were dispersed everywhere and there was no elitist chief priest class anymore. Sadducees are gone. In fact, none of their writings survive. Nothing that was written by the Sadducees survived for us to look at historically. Everything we hear about them is actually taken from writings from the Pharisees. So to some extent, keep that in mind since they were sort of at odds with each other. Maybe not everything we hear about them is exactly how they would have explained it. But that's, uh, that's where they're at. So next... We got the Pharisees, okay? Now, we hear about the Pharisees more than we hear about the Sadducees. Uh, Jesus was constantly calling the Pharisees to account all the time. And you got to look at the Pharisees as a much more um, common man, everyday group of people. These were not the elitist people. I'm not saying that there were no Pharisees who were wealthy. There very well may have been, but that wasn't. They were sort of the, uh, the Jewish party of the common man, okay? They were just kind of normal guys. They were not elitists. The way that modern Jews view their religious life is descended from the Pharisees, not from the Sadducees, okay? They were more conservative culturally. They, they didn't totally reject all Hellenism and Greek culture, but they didn't want to let nearly as much in as the Sadducees did, okay? So they were just more, more conservative about that. And they were very strong on this idea that there's an oral law or an oral tradition along with a law that's written that helps us to interpret. So they thought God gave Moses the law to write down, but also told Moses lots of things that helped them interpret the law, which ends up being codified or written down in a book called the Talmud. 
And the Talmud takes all the laws of the Old Testament and adds 50 things to each one. And this is one of the things that Jesus would call them to account for. That they would take, you know, uh, you know, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then they would add 55 things, 150 things that you had to do. You can only walk this far. You can only, you know, do, do such and such, take your animal this far. You can only, you know, whatever it is, right? They made all these little rules about how, what it meant to keep the Sabbath holy. And this was part of this oral tradition that they believed helped interpret the scripture. And Jesus would be like, look, you're taking this and turning it into a very man-based thing and making all these rules and putting them on the people. And I don't like it. Jesus didn't like the way that they rolled. So that's how they, that's how they did their thing. They did believe in an afterlife, that they believed in the resurrection from the dead. They believed that there would be judgment, that there would be rewards and punishments based on the things that you did while you lived on earth. Okay? And these guys were constantly at odds with the Sadducees. All right. That's Sadducees. Pharisees. Last group is called the Essenes. Okay? Uh, we don't hear nearly as much about this group of people. But I'll tell you a little bit about them. First of all, they're at odds with both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They get along with no one. Okay, They hate what's happened to, or let's just say they greatly dislike, what's happened to Jerusalem and to the temple. They believe that both of these groups are way too liberal and have allowed way too much Hellenistic culture and so on. They totally reject any other, any Hellenistic or Greek culture, any other culture from the traditions of Judaism that they believe are important. Okay, they're very, very conservative. So they literally went and lived outside Jerusalem, like out in the desert. They lived like monks. They had these extremely strict dietary laws and they were celibate. Okay, so if you look at these three groups, you can kind of think um, on one side you have uh, certain, let's just take it with Christianity, okay? There are certain Christians that that a lot of people would say, well, they go really far towards accepting culture, so much so that maybe, that maybe God gets put out of the way. Maybe that's the Sadducees. And then you've got the Pharisees, which maybe you're trying to, trying to straddle the line a little bit. They take some of the culture, and they, take, and they take some of the tradition, and they're sort of, you know, we don't want to be too legalistic, but we're still pretty dang legalistic. And then you've got the Essenes, which are like, uh, you know, you're talking what? Pennsylvania Dutch, you know? Um, you're talking about Amish people, something like that. We reject everything. We're going to go out and live by ourselves. The only thing about these guys is it was even further than that. There were all these dietary restrictions and celibacy, which I'm guessing made recruiting very difficult. Um, but that's, that's who these guys are, okay? These are your three groups. Knowledge downloaded. All right. Now, the group that was mentioned here is the Sadducees, all right? And it says that these guys were filled with indignation, Filled with indignation. The word used here, the Greek word for indignation that's, that's translated indignation here in this translation is zealos. Okay, zealos. And zealos is the word that we get word, the word zealous from, right? We also get the word envy and jealousy. Those are all tied up in this word zealos that is used here in the Greek. So what you're seeing is these guys are extremely unhappy Extremely unhappy with the apostles. They're envious and jealous and zealous. And so I, I, you kind of have to look at it like this. The apostles are gaining the favor of the people. That's the thing that these leaders desire the most, is the favor and respect of the people. And the apostles are gaining that. And so they're envious and jealous of that, but they justify their uh, indignation at the apostles by convincing themselves that their indignation is actually about their zealousness for God. 
That really they're just very zealous that the, that the apostles are, are preaching an improper word, an improper truth, and that they hold the true truth. And really, they're being mean to the apostles because they're so zealous for what God wants. But truly, what we're really probably talking about is some envy and some jealousy that had built up against them. All right, let's look at the next verse, 518. We got through one so far. All right. And laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. All right, so these guys, remember last time that they arrested some people, it was just Peter and John. This time they've arrested the apostles. Now, I don't know if it's specifically referring to every apostle. That certainly seems like what it's saying. But at least enough of the apostles that they didn't want to write all their names down. Okay, a bunch of these guys this time, not just Peter and John. And it says they put them in the common prison. We know that there was at the time, at this time in Jerusalem, there was Herod's prison. This was on the west side of Jerusalem. And then we had the fortress of Antonia. These were different places people might be held. But the Sanhedrin, the great Sanhedrin, actually had their own prison as well. And it would have been either in the temple or they sometimes met outside the temple in another place. And it may have been actually underneath or below that place. So this is probably where they've put them in this prison that they control, that they can put people in. Okay, so that's where these guys are. These are, remember we talked about who the great Sanhedrin was. So we keep that in mind as we're reading through here. These guys, the people that we're talking about, these rulers are the great Sanhedrin, okay? Pharisees and Sadducees, rulers, the top rulers of the Jewish people. There were Sanhedrins in lots of different cities, but here in Jerusalem, the great Sanhedrin sat 71 people, the absolute upper echelon, top most educated, uh, wealthiest, most influential leaders of the Jewish people. That's who we're talking about that put them in prison and that we're going to see as we continue. Let's read verse 19 and 20. It says, But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Okay? So let's put ourselves in these guys' sandals for a minute and think about what's going on. We know from the story that they're used to seeing the power of God at work. They've seen the risen Jesus. They've witnessed the risen Jesus Christ. We know that. We also know from what we've read that they've seen tons of signs and wonders and healings. Okay? We know that. So they're used to seeing the power of God at work, but they're still just dudes. They're still just men. And they still don't like going to prison. They're still scared when something bad happens to them. Just like you have probably seen the power of God a thousand times, and yet it hasn't been enough yet for most of us to conquer every fear so that we never get scared anymore. I'm guessing that these guys, when they're put in prison by these guys that had killed Jesus, that they're probably fearful. I don't know how many of you have been to prison. Just taking a basic look, I'm guessing quite a few of you. Um, <laughs> That's okay. I love you the same, and you probably have better stories than me. So, you know, we'll talk later. But the point is, is that no matter who you are, it's scary, right? I mean, you've seen the shows. I mean, it's bad. You know, that person is not somewhere that you want to be. And so these guys are probably scared. But God, in his mercy, sends an angel to get them out which probably also was quite scary. As we see in Scripture continuously and constantly, when an angel comes, usually the first thing they say is, don't be afraid. Fear not, right? It's scary. You're not used to being around these spiritual beings, these heavenly beings that are bright and have all this stuff going on. That's not what you're used to. That would be something scary. So in one way, scared in another way, but either way, these guys are kind of going through it. First, it's, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe I'm going to get killed, maybe whatever. Then this angel comes, right, and tells them whatever. And so what does he tell them? 
What does he tell them? He says, look, I want you to go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. I want you to stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, the Jewish people sometimes would refer, describe the temple as the house of our life. They call it the house of our life. And so the angel is saying, I want you to go stand there and speak the words of this life, the Christ life. They're talking about the house of life, but that's based on, uh, on, on a system of law that was never meant to be redemptive. It was always going to be Jesus Christ that redeemed, and he has done so. And I want you to go and teach about the words of this life, the Christ life. Jesus refers to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. Life, vitality, right? When you think of life, and when you just think of, try to, try to imagine what life is, everything that it means. Fullness of life. The joy and fullness and amazingness of life. Scientists have no idea where life comes from. We don't even understand it. It is a spiritual reality, right? Life. God created life, and Jesus is the life. And so he's saying the words of this life, the way, the truth, the life. If you want life, which is to know God, true life, fullness of life, you've got to come through the life that is Christ. And so he wants them to go and do this, right? And so this is what they're told to do. And I'm guessing that for them, this is not a particularly easy thing to do. Because remember, that's why they got thrown in prison in the first place. Now they're out, and it's like, let's roll, right? I'm out. I want to get away from these people who are persecuting me. Not I want to make them even more annoyed by going back into the temple and defying them again. That is not what's probably on their list of their favorite things to do. They're probably thinking to this angel like, Bro, why don't you come with us? Because they're unlikely to do anything to us if you're all bright and shiny and stuff. Standing there, right? That's what I'd be thinking. I'd be like, no problem, but can you come with? You know, um, but that wasn't, that wasn't to be. They were to go and do this difficult thing. This is what they were called to do. And so as they sit there and they think about, what do I have to do? You should be thinking for yourself, what would I do? What would I do? I'm in this position. I just basically escaped, you know, Imprisonment, imprisonment, possible torture, possible death. Now I'm out. God save me. But he's telling me to go and make it worse. Go and make it worse. What would you do? What would you do in that situation? Would you follow his command? I don't know. Sometimes God calls us way out of our comfort zone. And I'm guessing even for these guys who have seen the power of God, that would have been a very scary proposition. So let's look and see what they did. It's verse 21. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. Immediately. They did not say, let me pray about it. Let me go to my life group and see what they all think about it. Can I call my wife? Do you have the latest Christian self-help book that I can go through and find a decision-making matrix that will help me to do this? That's not what they did. They had a command from God, and they did it immediately. Got up early in the morning and got in the temple. Now, for me... Without any of the fear of being put in prison or being killed or tortured, I would consider myself to have really rocked it if I just did that first part and got up early in the morning, okay? I'm thinking, I'm pretty holy today. I got up at like, you know, six o'clock or whatever, right? And so for them, it's not just the early in the morning part, which is legit to me, okay? That's already asking a lot. But that they have to go and face 
possible death and persecution. Well, certain persecution. The possibility of imprisonment, torture, and death. And they did it immediately. Immediately. And this is unquestionably prescriptive for us. When God commands, you go. You don't have to ask any questions. Okay? You don't have to ask, should I do this? Should I not do this? You don't even need to pray about it. If God said, do it, do it. And you sit and think, well, if an angel comes to me and tells me to do it, then of course I would do it too. (laughs) Here's the thing. God has told you all kinds of things to do right here. And are you doing them? I know that I'm not doing all of them. I've got to work on it every day to try to do them. You should be doing them. If you, if you think you need to hear from God in order to follow his commands, you got it, baby. It's right here. And when you do all of these, we can talk about getting you an angel. Okay? We'll talk about that when you're done. Start at the beginning, do all these things, then we'll talk about whether you need an angel to tell you additional things. But there are plenty of things that you can do right now that we all struggle to do in obedience to God. But here they are, they're told to do something. We know it may mean any number of very unpleasant things, and they don't even hesitate. They don't even hesitate. There they go. Okay, rest of that verse, uh, verse 21, it says, But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. They're about to be really upset when they get to the prison. Um, Let's look at the next verse. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Oops. The doors are shut. They're secured. The guards are outside. But the apostles aren't there. And nobody knows where they are. I'm thinking that that's going to be an issue where somebody's going to have some explaining to do. Um, where are these dudes? We just put a bunch of dudes in there. Where are they? And everybody's like, I don't know. They had to have said, I don't know, because if we look at the next verse, we'll see. It says, now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. They didn't know what had happened, but they wondered what the outcome would be. And the word outcome sort of doesn't capture the gravity of what is going on here. In the Greek, the word that that we talk about, wondered, they wondered what the outcome would be, is actually to be entirely at a loss, to be perplexed, to be in perplexity. They are flabbergasted. I love that word. I'm glad I finally got to use it in the sermon. They don't know what to do. They don't know what, they don't know what's gonna happen. They're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Let's not forget, these guys asked for the death of Jesus, Right, And then all of a sudden they start hearing from a lot of credible witnesses that he's walking around alive. And then his followers come and start having the power of the Holy Spirit. There's signs and wonders. People are being healed. And the people are flocking to them. And now from last week, or the last time we did this, yeah, it was last week, we read multitudes and multitudes of people are coming, right? They can see that the power, they've seen themselves. They all knew this dude who was lame, who was now walking through the power of the Holy Spirit. But they... Still, they let their jealousy and their envy come back, and they had put these guys in prison, and now they're out. And the only explanation for it is something in the power of God. And so these guys are wondering what's going to happen. What's the outcome going to be? They're perplexed. They're at a loss. They don't know what to think. In our next episode, we'll find out just what does happen, and I hope you'll join us. 
And now let me invite you to hear Pastor David in person here at Axe Church this Sunday morning. We're real easy to find in Vancouver, Washington, and directions and all the info you need are just a click away at axechurchnw.org or call 360-885-9000. Hope to see you this Sunday and next time here on Contemplate.